so happy to have the Austins with us today, and uh, Pastor Cedric Austin leading in worship today. And, and I asked him to uh, do a Father's Day type song, and so he's going to set this up and a little bit of the reason for this song today. Would you worship the Lord with him as he sings? Happy Father's Day, fathers. Amen. The song I'm going to sing today is called Lead Us. I heard this song several years ago. And this song is basically about the guy that wrote this song is a father who wrote the song and recognized uh, some things in his life that weren't so great and that he wanted to be a better father. And so the words of this song, I pray, blesses each one of you and uh, shows us that there is some things that we can do and recognize within ourselves to be the best that we can be and give our families and our kids the best of us that we can. Amen. I look around, I see my wonderful life, almost perfect from the outside. In picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling, but on the inside. I can hear her saying, lead me with strong hands, stand up when I can't, don't leave me hungry for love, chasing dreams, but what
won't you lead me to lead them with strong hands to stand up when they can't don't want to leave them hungry for love chasing things that I could I'm willing to fight and give them the best of my life so we can call this not just fathers today, but help all of us to be everything that you have called us to be. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You know, I was blessed to grow up in a, a home where my dad was there, and I don't know that I could say that he was at every, every game I ever played but he was at a lot of them. But he was an example in a myriad of ways on how to interact with people, how to be polite. I'm not sure I learned that all the way yet. But in his interactions with people, he was always pleasant, even if they were pleasant. He was just an example of what it meant to be a Christian, and, and so I'm so thankful that I grew up in a family that my dad was there, and uh, that I never had to wonder if he loved me. It was apparent in everything that he did. I'm going to invite you to stand real quick. We'll go to the Word of the Lord as we do. We're going to dismiss the, the children to their classes, and going to get into the Word here. I'm going to read today from Galatians chapter 4, New American Standard, and going to hit on maybe a topic or two that in this passage that is, that I have mentioned in the last couple of weeks, but on Father's Day, of course, it's maybe most important. Galatians chapter 4 says this, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So I want to preach just for a little bit about welcome to the family. God bless you. You may be seated. This is, of course, Father's Day, and, and so you have to preach about fathers in some way, shape, or form, and 
And, and you could preach about how people should be better fathers and ways in which they could be that, or you could maybe preach about something similar to what I'm going to do, and that is that we have a Heavenly Father who is at work in our lives and, and that we should be looking to on this day, even when our earthly fathers are not all that they should be. I, I noticed through Scripture as I was reading various passages about God as Father or or just fathers in general, and there is a, a pattern that when men are good fathers, God would use those men as examples of how he himself would be. That he would look at them and say, if your father knows how to give good gifts to you. And, and, he's, and he's talking in context, he says that nobody's going to ask for a, a fish and their parents are going to give them a snake, or they're going to ask for something good, and their parents are going to give them a scorpion. He said, even earthly parents know to give good things. And, and while there may be some evil parents out there, but what he's using is this. is that even if an earthly parent or earthly father knows how to give something good, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? And in that passage, I find it interesting that he didn't just say any gift. If they know how to give good things, how much more does your father know how to give good things? That would be kind of the equivalent to what he's saying. But he says, how much more shall your father give you the Holy Spirit? Which is the greatest gift that you can receive. It's the greatest thing that God can give us. It is that, we've talked about it before, it's that down payment of what is to come. And but not all fathers are good, of course, and so when fathers aren't good, God doesn't compare himself to that. And, and sometimes in our world, in our culture, when people don't have good fathers, they look at God, who is called father over and over, and they go, well, if, if he's like my dad, or he was like my father, then I don't know that I want to have anything to do with him, because their frame of reference is not always positive. Maybe, maybe their father was absent or maybe their father was abusive or what any number of negative things. And then they attribute that to God. But God does the reverse. He says, if they're good, then how much better am I than that? And he doesn't even bother talking about those who are bad. There's no comparison between God, our father, and our human fathers and, and in reality, because he is so much better and so much greater than any human father could be. I could be the greatest dad in the world, and I would pale and wouldn't even be in the same universe as God, our Father. He is Father in a number of ways. He is, of course, Father in creation. He created all of the things that you see. He created the world. He spoke the stars and the moon into existence. He spoke all of these things into existence, and he, he fashioned man with his hands out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into him, and he became, the Bible says, a living soul. He is the father of creation, and so everyone should look at God as father because he is the one who created all of this. He created everything that's good and everything that's powerful and everything that, that we see around us. He created all of that, and so in that sense, he's father. And, but he very seldom was called father. In fact, he didn't even use father very much in the Old Testament. He used it occasionally where he said to David, he says, if you serve me, he said, I will be to you a father, and you will be to me a son. 
But that was an occasional type use of God as Father. It wasn't until the incarnation. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and that she conceived that God began to really refer to Himself as Father. And He did that because in the incarnation He now has a Son who is both human and divine. He is 100% man, but He's also 100% God. He's everything that God is. Jesus Christ is. But Jesus is walking around and And you can see him, but God is not limited just to that body, but he was in all places and everywhere present at the same time. And so he says, that spirit of mine that is everywhere, we refer to that as father. So he's the father in incarnation. And he even said, he said, I only have one son, one begotten son, the only begotten son, one unique son. And that is Jesus Christ who walked the earth. But In addition to him being our father in creation and him being the father of the Christ who walked the earth, he is also father in salvation and or adoption. He is our father when we come into relationship with him. He's our father whenever we uh, enter into this, this relationship of salvation with him. He said all who believe him, all who receive him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. He is our God. He is our Father in our salvation. So how did He do that? How was this? Our passage gives us a number of different things about God's salvation. First off, it came at the appointed time. That when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he sent him at an, ex- an exact time. It wasn't just, well, I think today would be a good day. But God is a God of order. He's a God of strategy. He's a God who plans. And at the appointed time, Jesus Christ comes on the scene. 2,000 plus years of the law. And, and 2,000 years prior to that where there was no law. But God was just part of the human conscience. And he was interacting with people. But the law wasn't written But after 4,000 years of human history, he comes at the appointed time. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That in the beginning, God had a plan. And the the, the word for word there, the Greek word is logos, which means the plan or the mind or the, the, it's not just a spoken word. It's not just like, W-O-R-D, like I look at it, a word, S-T-O-P on the page, well, that's a word. No, it is the plan of God, it is his, his idea, his orchestration. He said, in the beginning was this plan of how I'm going to do everything. And Jesus was that plan, Jesus was that word. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And when the fullness of time comes, God sends forth his son. The word John 1.14 became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Up until Jesus comes, God had just provided a temporary solution. But he had a plan from the beginning of time that he would send a son. He would send a lamb. He would send this Messiah who would be able to pay the price for your sin and mine. And because of that, we can enter into relationship with him and be called sons of God. He came at the appointed time. Salvation came through the incarnation. In fact, 
the verse, the text that we read says this, he was born of a woman and born under the law. God is a spirit. He can't die. Spirits don't die. God is an eternal, everlasting spirit. He can't die. And so, in order to be that sacrifice, He has to come in a human form. He had to take on human flesh in order for that flesh to die. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to take away the sin of the whole world. And so God Himself decides He's going to take away the sin of the world. And so He comes in human form. All God and all man. I've talked to people before who have this, this idea and this concept, well, God's a spirit and God can't die, and Jesus died, therefore Jesus can't be God. But that is a failure to really understand what death is. When you and I die, we don't cease to exist. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're not just this flesh that we see here and, and we can touch and we can pinch and we can, we can get cuts on and fall and skin our knee. We're more than that. We're not eternal as in from being from time past and always existed but we will live forever because there is a part of us that when we come into being when when we are created in the womb we are now eternal and our spirit and our soul will live forever so death is not the cessation of existence death is just the separation of this fleshly body that we can touch from our soul and spirit which are not able to die and so when jesus dies on the cross he he doesn't cease to exist. It's just that his soul and his spirit leaves his body. Not any different than yours and mine, except that his death meant that you and I could have eternal life forever. That we could, because of that death, our sins would be covered. And because of that death, he was able to atone for the sins of all of mankind. His blood was so much greater than that of bulls and goats. And so he was born of a woman. But Paul in Galatians also says he was born under the law. That he wasn't outside the law. And while technically, yes, he's greater than the law, but he, he was born and for 33 and a half years he kept God's law. That he lived up to God's law. The Bible says he fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. That everything that God had laid out that he was trying to get people to do, Jesus Christ lived it. He did it all. Now, he didn't always follow human law in the sense of their religious laws that they tacked on to God's law and things you couldn't do. That they decided you couldn't, you couldn't do certain things. You couldn't, light a, you couldn't start a fire on the Sabbath because that's creating energy and so you couldn't do that and and even in modern times, if, if they're really practicing Jews, they won't even turn on a light switch because it creates a spark of energy. And so they get a Gentile to go and turn on their lights for them. Well, they just leave them on all night. So Jesus didn't follow that type of law, but he followed the law that God had given in the Scriptures, not, not the extra stuff that people had piled on top of that. And he keeps the law to show that you is possible to be righteous. And so he doesn't just come as a sinless man. 
but he lives holy and righteous. And so when we have his blood applied to our lives, we not only have our sin taken away, but his righteousness. And that righteousness that he lived out is applied to our lives. We don't just become a blank slate. Sometimes people talk about this idea when our sins are washed away and, and we're just a blank slate now. All of the negative is gone. But it's not just the removing of the negative. It is the putting on of the positive. It is the putting on of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That you don't get to heaven because you're a blank slate. You don't get to heaven just because you're, you're sinless. You get to heaven because he takes away your sins and he replaces it with his righteousness. And it is because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you and I get to go to heaven one day and live with him forever. Aren't you thankful that he lived under the law and he lived a holy, righteous life? Salvation also means that we are adopted. We're not born physically into God's family. We're not part of this royal family just by nature of our physical birth, our natural birth. But we are adopted into God's family. In this passage that I took the text from, Paul uses the phrase that we are adopted and we are received that spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He uses that phrase also in the book of Romans. And he says this in Romans, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He says almost the identical thing to the Galatian church. I've told you in recent days about the, the situation in Rome and and, he, and he's using that word, Abba, the, the Aramaic word for, for father. He uses that along with the Greek word, pater, for father. And, and, he, and he says, Abba, father, or Abba, pater, that whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you both have received the spirit of adoption and you cry, Abba, father. And in Galatians, it is maybe not any more clear or maybe it's most clear there, I should say, as I was very unclear in my speaking. But it's even more clear when you understand the context of Galatians. Because Peter has been in Galatia. Now, Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a region more like a state. Many of the letters are, that Paul writes are, that are written, they are to cities, but this is to more of an area, a state. It's like he's writing a letter to Kansas. But he writes it to Galatia. And Peter has been in Galatia. He's been preaching the gospel. And he's one of the only Jews there. It's primarily a Gentile church. And so, since he's the only one there, he's having himself a good old time hanging out with the Gentiles. Eating non-kosher foods. Probably had his first ham sandwich in the region of Galatia. I don't know if that even if Peter would bring himself to do that, but, but he's hanging out with Gentiles. And he's not hanging out with, with evil people. He's hanging out with Christians. They're Christians. They're, 
They're followers of Jesus Christ. They're just not Jews. And then when he finds out that people from Jerusalem are coming, these Jews are coming, he decides that that would look bad for me to be hanging out with these people. I don't want them to know that I'm hanging out with these people that aren't following everything that we followed. And so when they get there, he won't sit with the Gentiles anymore. He just sits with the Jews and he hangs out with his own kind. I would just tell you a little excursus. This is not really the point of the message, but that's part of what we see going on today. With, I, I don't know that I want to hang out with those people or I don't want to be like those people or I, I'm... I, I don't know about this group over here. But in the church, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're red or yellow, black or white, we are all precious in His sight and we have all received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Anybody thankful that it, you, you don't have to be born as a Caucasian or you don't have to be born as an African American or a Hispanic, that you can be from any nation, any kind of ethnicity, and all of us are born into the kingdom the same way. That I'm not in the kingdom because I'm Caucasian. I'm in the kingdom because I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And, and, and that anybody who's filled with the Spirit of God can be in the kingdom of God. And they can all cry, Abba, Father. We receive the Spirit of adoption. He chooses us. There's a story, and I need to hurry. There's a story of an adopted boy. People were... As kids often are, they're kind of, they can be cruel, mean, whatever. Sometimes they reflect their parents. And they were making fun of this little boy on the playground at school because he was adopted. That the parents that he lived with, they, they weren't really his parents. But it occurred to him one day that, yeah, he was different. And so he looked at his antagonist and he said, your parents, they don't have any choice. You belong to them. But my parents, they chose me. And aren't you thankful that God chooses us? Not because we're good, but because he's good and because he loves us. And we can cry, Abba, Father. And that word, Abba, Father, you, and you may have heard this, it's, Probably what most people capitalize on when in, in Jewish culture when you would say father, father, that double emphasis, it was the strongest term of endearment. It was more like the equivalent of calling someone dad or daddy. Or if you're from really southern areas, daddy. So, hey, my friends, I was, I'm from Louisiana. That's where I was raised, man. It's, got a good friend of mine from North Carolina, and he still says it that way, and he's almost 40. Sometimes you just, that's just the way you learn, man. That's the way you, I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about people, the way people mispronounce words, but when it gets stuck in your head, it's hard to change. But anyway, that's a little rabbit trail there. 
The father is biological. That that any male over a certain age, and when they reach a certain point, they can father a child. Not necessarily anything special. It's just that they can father a child. But daddy is a little bit different than that. That it's not just that this is a person that has fathered me, but this is somebody that I have a relationship with. This is somebody that I can be intimate with and, and they, I can tell them my problems and I can share with them all the things that I'm going through. And, and in the Hebrew culture, when they would say that father, father, it was that term called daddy. And while God is bigger than us and he is everywhere existing all at the same time and he, he's the God of the universe, we can still have a relationship with him that's more than just, well, I saved you and and I'll just, just kind of do your thing over there. But we can have a relationship with him where we can call him daddy. That we can have an ongoing intimate relationship and knowledge of who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. We can call him daddy. And lastly, salvation means that we are now heirs of God. That Paul writes in Galatians that because we receive the spirit of adoption, we're no longer slaves, but we are sons. And if we are sons, we are heirs of God. And in our politically correct world, maybe I should say it this way, because sons is not just limited to the male gender, but we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. And because of that, we are now heirs of God we're not just slaves and our servants in the father's house but everything that the father has he's going to give to us he's going to place it on us we are heirs of God Jesus said in John 14 he said I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also and if, I, if I'm going, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you to myself. And He says, in my Father's house are many mansions, are many places to abide. I've got room for everybody. And I'm preparing a place. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, that spirit of adoption, it is just the down payment of our inheritance. It's just a little glimpse of what we're going to have. Paul wrote that we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's just the beginning. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't really know what I would do if I had to go through life apart from God. I, I don't know what I would do if I, I didn't really have someone to turn to that was better than me that was bigger than me, that was greater than me. If I had to just rely on my own 
talents and my own abilities and my own way of getting out of situations that were negative and when bad things happen, just have to get out of my own way. I'm not sure how I would handle it, but I don't have to when I have Jesus. So when I have His Spirit living on the inside of me, I don't go through life alone, but I do life with Jesus Christ. And when something is going wrong, I have peace and joy. And, and when I need healing, I have someone I can call on and I can receive healing. And, and when I need provision, I don't have to go to my neighbor, but I can turn to God and He will provide and take care of everything that I need. Salvation means we are heirs of God. Let's stand together. And as, as I close today, God is our Father in creation. He's Father because of the incarnation. And most importantly, though, He is Father because of salvation and what He has done in us. And when we are adopted into the family, we take on His name. That's part of what baptism is about. It's not just washing away our sins, but it's taking on the name of Jesus Christ. Where now, we're no longer just who we were, but now we're a son or a daughter of God. In Hebrew culture, you, and when you're reading through the New Testament, you see things like Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, of course, is his kind of his equivalent to Mark. And Bar-Jonah is not really a last name in, in the sense that it's, you know, my last name is Blackburn. But in one sense it is. The word Bar means son of. So Simon bar Jonah, that means he's the son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. So they would use names like that. And the Bible tells us a story of a man who was blind. We call him just blind Bartimaeus. He was born blind. And because he was born blind, that means he would never go into the temple. He could never go past the gates of the temple. He could never go and worship God like everybody else could because he had this affliction. And that meant that he probably, in that culture, there was no welfare like we know it. There's no disability like we know it. He wasn't going to have a job and be able to work a job like everybody else. There's no computer jobs where you can just talk and it'll type everything. There's none of that. That meant that he was going to be a beggar for the rest of his life. And of course, his parents, of course, knowing this, we don't really even know his name. The text says this in Mark 10, 46, Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, that is Jesus, with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. He doesn't even have a name. It's not Simon. It's, it's not Luke, which is a Gentile name. It's 
He's just Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Because of his blindness, we didn't even, they didn't even give him a name. They didn't, decide, they didn't call him Joseph Bartimaeus. This is just Bartimaeus, just the son of Timaeus. Not even worthy of receiving a name, but maybe he did, but the text doesn't tell us. He's begging on the street, but Jesus comes by and he sees the blind beggar. And when he does, he brings healing to him. He takes away in one action, he takes away his blindness and and all of the stigma that goes with it. No longer is he going to have to be a beggar. No longer is he kept out of the temple. But now he's healed, he's whole. And I would just tell you that when we come to Jesus Christ, we're adopted into the family. He gives us his name. And everything that goes with that, he puts on us. We are the son and daughters of God. No longer slaves, no longer servants, but we are heirs of God. Anybody thankful that you've been brought into the family of God? Anybody thankful that you have a heavenly Father who has adopted you and brought you into His kingdom? And I'm going to invite you once again, you can maintain the social distancing, but to come around the front or as close as you can and, and remain spread out. But would you come and just thank God for what He has done in your life and for what He's doing? And And if you haven't received that spirit of adoption, He wants to do that in your life. He wants to give you His Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is tell Him you don't want to follow your way anymore, but you want to follow His, that you want to turn from your sin, and and you want to follow His way of doing things. You want to commit your life to Him, and when you do that, Tell him that you want him to fill you with his spirit. Would you begin to do that as they sing and play, Jesus? God, we want to follow you. We want to give ourselves to you completely. We want to follow you. We want to receive that spirit of adoption where we can cry, Abba, Father. Yes, Lord. Yes, Thank you for what you're doing, Lord, for what you've done. Chains are broken, eyes are open, miracles are in this place. Hearts are mended, grace extended, miracles are in this place. cry Abba Father today we want your spirit of adoption to be in our hearts and our lives no one else will in this place yes yes she's our 
you're next to a family member or somebody you've been with, would you just reach over, put your hand on their shoulder, and would you begin to pray that God would be at work in them? God, we need you today. We need your spirit to be at work in us. We need your spirit to be at work in us We need your spirit to work in us, Lord. We want to be everything that you've called us to be. We want to be the sons and the daughters that you've called us to be, Continue to draw them to you. That they would experience and know everything that it means to be a son and a daughter of yours. Work in them, we pray. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. If you are an adult male today, we've got a gift for you before you leave. So we'll do that in the foyer. Thank you so much for coming and spending your Father's Day with us today. And look forward to a great week. And we will see you next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great day.